Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Jinto called Life Under Quarantine. My name is Cornelius McGrath and I am your host. In this series, I will be talking to the everyday entrepreneurs, students, athletes, artists, bartenders, chefs, reporters, teachers and hospital workers about how they are finding meaning, clarity and opportunity in a time where there seems to be none. My guest today is Polina Marinova. Polina is the founder and editor-in-chief of The Profile. She quit her job at Fortune magazine on March 20th, during the crescendo of our global pandemic, to scale her business full-time. Polina and I had a tremendous conversation on her creative process, the vision and life experiences behind her decision to start The Profile, the secrets behind great newsletters and writing world-class feature pieces, as well as our mutual love of Tiger King. Shout out to all my cool cats and kittens. Polina Marinova, welcome to Life Under Quarantine. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Really good to have you here. So I cannot believe that your last day at Fortune magazine was just over a week ago, right? I can't believe that either, but yes. (laughs) Absolutely unbelievable. I think I read the 20th of March was your last day. And so you've started a new business, The Profile, which we're going to talk a lot about, right as COVID-19 has begun to crescendo. Yeah, that was not part of my plan when I made the decision to go full-time on The Profile, but sometimes life has other plans. <laughs> yeah. So how, how has your last week been? Yeah, well, it was, um, I was at home, <laughs> you know, it was, it was really surreal because I never imagined well, first of all, I never really thought about leaving Fortune, and then I never actually imagined that my last week, if you had told me I'd spend it at home, quarantined in my apartment with a global pandemic, I would not have believed you, but here we are. That is crazy. So look, I have got a lot to talk to you about. You're a fascinating individual. Um, I think it's so exciting that you've taken this next step, and I've, I've, I've really love what I've read of the profile so far. Like I've only known about it for, I'd say two weeks, like you just popped up on Twitter and it was right around the time I was thinking about doing life under quarantine. So I'm super excited, but I guess I want to start with your first day at fortune. I just want to know what it was, how it looked, how it felt like, where were you in your life? God. Okay. So I was, I had just turned 23 years old. Mm I, um, before Fortune, I had worked at a startup uh, for six months. And before that, I had graduated from University of Georgia. And I spent about a year freelancing at CNN and USA Today. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to Fortune, I, I was ecstatic. I thought I had made it. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe the best business magazine you know, in the world. Um, I thought I had tricked them into hiring me. <laughs> so I was ecstatic to be there. Um, and I remember on my first day just walking around and seeing the names um, on the offices of the people whose work I had read. And I was like, this is, I cannot believe I'm here and I get to learn from these people. And that's exactly what I did. That's amazing. So I was reading a little bit um, about your time at Fortune and it seems as if Aaron Griffith leading in 2017 was kind of a key moment. And you talked about kind of having this decision around whether you take over term sheet or not. Bring me into that world. What was the decision-making process? What were the things you were considering? And and how did that ultimately play out for you? Yeah. So that's a really good question because I think 
people, I'm fascinated, first of all, by how people make decisions in the first place. And the way I make decisions is really, really funny because, first of all, I'm a really risk-averse person. It doesn't look like it if you look at my life trajectory, but mm -hmm. just naturally, inherently, I'm risk-averse. So anytime there's uncertainty, anytime there's something where I could like fail or fall flat on my face, I mm. tend to try to avoid it. Mm. But certain points in time, I'm presented with a situation where it's like, okay, but <laughs> am I going to learn from this mm. or do I just kind of lay low and, you know, just go with the flow? And I've never been one of those people where if I'm presented with an opportunity, I say no to it. Yep. So <laughs> at the time in 2017, I had worked at Fortune for about three years. Mm. And I mean, I had been a reporter and I had been writing articles for Fortune, but I had never done something so niche and so knowledge specific where you have to know a ton of people. It was a specific beat, you know, and that was the term sheet newsletter, which um, basically is talks to the most influential deal makers in the world and uh, compiles all the deals uh, in venture capital and private equity. So I had knew very little about that world. Uh, so, so for the last six or eight months, I had been helping Aaron Griffith with compiling the deals. Mm. So literally I was just looking for deals, who bought whom, which uh, startup raised what kind of money, mm. and I would include it. It was a very um, formulaic. There was no creativity to it. It was just literally here are the deals. Yep. What she did was she did the top part, which is the column, which requires more creativity, which requires you talking to people and knowing what you're talking about. So when she left, there was this opening, and it was like, well, <laughs> we either hire someone else or – we could hire someone else, but do you want to do this temporarily? And I was just like, well, <laughs> and in my head, I was like, no, 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 no. And I was just like, yep. So I said yes. And I, in those first months, mm. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning because I was terrified of not knowing what to write about or not sounding smart or yeah. something like that. And, um, I would go to the office at like 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., and start reading, Googling, <laughs> trying to compose my thoughts um, into something that I thought people would find valuable. What I learned from that experience is that um, people who know what they're talking about aren't trying to sound smart and are not trying to use big words to explain a concept. When you don't know what you're talking about, you're trying to like use the lingo, you're trying to really you're very it's my writing in the beginning was very um like how would you call it like clinical and like mm. very formulaic it wasn't as free and confident as it got to in the end right so a lot of times when I'm speaking to people who have these breakout opportunities which I which I kind of clarify term sheet in right that's mm -hmm. a big deal um what were the things you didn't know that you didn't know Ooh. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, a lot. I didn't know anything. The first thing I didn't know was just how interesting and dynamic the world of venture capital and technology is. I always kind of saw that as, uh, you know, like, I, I want to, I honestly thought it was kind of boring before that. I was like, why would anybody ever care whether a private equity firm bought a company? Mm. 
Like, mm. who cares about this? Mm. And then once you're in it, you start realizing that, oh my God, like this, it, it's so important. It's so important that GE bought this startup because mm. why is GE buying the startup that's doing this one thing? It means maybe that GE wants to go into that direction in the future, et cetera. Mm. So literally, it's so interesting once you actually get to know all the characters, the players. The way I had it in my head was like, I literally sat down and I was like, who are the key players? <laughs> yeah. Who are the big um, decision makers? And where's all the action? And I made it into like a like an exciting movie type thing in my head. I, there mm. was a plot, there were characters, etc. And then from there, um, once you start talking to these people, you find how fascinating this world is. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know why it was important. I didn't know why people were spending so much money uh, buying companies. Like none of that ever made, made sense to me before. Mm. And then literally you find out these are the people at the forefront of progress and innovation. And that's why it's important and interesting. Mm. I love that. Two questions here. How did you know you were doing a good job? Like what were your feedback loops and mechanisms? And then given that, like you said, Fortune is this incredible ecosystem with all these amazing people with track records how do you put your own unique spin on something that's been done for so long yep um i've written a little bit about this before but in the beginning i um wasn't confident at all so every single day and, and i'm not gonna lie to you it was pretty brutal like the feedback i got from readers because you're sending this to tens of thousands of people every single morning and their feedback is what kind of how I knew if I was doing a good job, whether I was providing value to them, because this is literally, they use this newsletter to inform how they do their job. Mm. So I knew if I, like in the beginning, I remember I got a lot of um, criticism for um, making it like, uh, for my tone. Like I wasn't, <sighs> at first I was trying to be too serious. Then I was like, no, I need my own voice. So I, I over-rotated and then mm. I sounded like, you know, I was writing this for a high school audience. Yeah. So people didn't like that. Um, yeah. The tone was very important. Then sometimes uh, it would be clear to that I didn't understand a certain concept. And I would have this whole opinion. And then people would be like, no, no, you know, there's this nuance to it that you don't know about. So what I started doing because of that is, okay, first of all, I'm new, I'm young, nobody knows who the hell I am. Why should they value my opinion? They shouldn't. That's logical. I wouldn't about in my opinion if I was in their um, shoes. So what I started doing is I created this thing called five questions with the deal maker. So I was like, if people won't listen to me, they'll listen to like their peers, right? That they respect. So I started sitting down with these really influential people in the industry and asking them questions about how they invest, their investment thesis, the companies they back, et cetera. That kind of um, allowed me to gain a little bit of respect because people could tell that I was curious, I could ask good questions and mm -hmm. I could bring them value. After talking to so many people, you kind of start learning and Googling and reading and, yeah. <laughs> and you suddenly build a network of people who uh, you can ask questions to. So definitely term sheet readers weren't shy in letting me, letting me know that, you know, I wasn't doing a good job or I was. Mm. Um, and those emails or somebody would be like, Hey, you made a good point today. Or that was good. Like I would yep. literally save them in a folder and be like, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I love but that. It, <laughs> It took a while. <laughs> yeah, feet to the fire. So yeah. I, I guess one of the things that amazed me about your background is you, you said you wrote 1,300 articles across five years at Fortune. So I think my math is right on this. That means it's 260 articles a year 
And if you assume 261 working days, that's just, I mean, just shy, 0.996 shy of an article a day. So I've got a ton of questions on this. I'm going to start with, and feel free to take your time. What were the 20% of activities that generate 80% of the value? So where did you find and manifest Pareto's law? Was the volume itself sustainable? And then what were your best pieces of work and why? Um, do you mean 20% of my time per day or? Take it however, however it feels most natural. So that number is a little bit misleading in that, you know, um, in the two years that I did term sheet, I produced an article a day, right? It would be the top of term sheet. Mm. Um, but, uh, but before that I worked for three years and I, I mean, I wrote a lot. (laughs) Sometimes it's really funny because sometimes I'll be reading an article and I'll be like, my God, I literally have zero memory of writing this. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Um, But you just have done so many. And I think that the majority of the time was spent talking to people. 20% was probably actually the actual writing. Mm. But um, as you know, like the the process is pretty burdensome. It's like you have to, first of all, come up with an idea. Then you have to convince your editor to let you do it. Then you have to go talk to people to see if it's actually a story. Once you've decided it's a story, you have to go interview people. Um, I I heard this, I don't remember who said it, but it was like, you know something's a story if you hear like three or more people say the same thing. You're like, ah, okay, like there's something here. And then, um, and then transcribe it, synthesize it, and write the article. I actually really enjoy, the two parts I really enjoy are the, talk the interviewing and the Mm. writing Mm. um just because it's like when you're interviewing someone you get to ask them whatever you want and you get to see how they think and then the writing to me is like a puzzle you're putting together all these different pieces and trying to make it coherent and interesting um the work i'm most proud of are probably the two magazine features i wrote um most recently one was on the breakup of um, venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins, mm. and the second one was a profile on Jeff Jordan, who is an investor at Andreessen Horowitz. But the reason I really liked, um, and it's not just because they were in the magazine, it's because I spent the most amount of work on those two articles in my entire career, fortune. But um, the Kleiner Perkins one, I spent probably six months trying to convince people who didn't want to talk to me to talk to me. Wow. <laughs> That's a new skill. Um, and then for the Jeff Jordan one, I found profiles are incredibly difficult because you're trying to, people are pretty similar. And in a profile, you're trying to figure out like the essence of this one person and what makes them different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you find that's really harder than, <laughs> uh, harder than it sounds because um, 99% of the time we all say the same stuff. We all think the same way, especially like in his cadre of investors um there's a certain mentality mm. and trying to figure out why his was different and why he's been successful yeah was tough was what you thought was best was that always reflected in audience feedback Ooh, uh, no <laughs> wait in, in what i thought was best in terms of so you said those two pieces uh the two top of mind at least right now that you're like yeah proud of that what was the response Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, people people really like them, I think. And I think the reason was uh, is that the work you put into it, uh, could you, it was evident how much work you put into it. Mm. The reason some of my other articles aren't as exciting and haven't done as well is because 
it was I did three interviews and I wrote an article. Like it wasn't this talk right. to 38 right. people and try to synthesize all that information. Right. So I love I love that point about depth, especially in a modern day media environment where you can't remember the tweets you read two days ago, but you spend so much time on them. So I think this is a natural transition to the profile and writing profiles. So I want to start with when was the first time and where were you when you first had the idea for the profile? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is actually a great transition because when I started the profile, it was February 2017. And at the time, if you remember, there were a lot of media organizations that were kind of freaking out. And um, there was a lot of aggregated journalism. And aggregated journalism means not original, means one, and it, the way it would kind of trickle down, like a blog would write something and then somebody would pick it up and then a bigger organization would pick it up and then it's a story. Mm. And then if you go to BuzzFeed, if you go to all these sort of websites, you see the same article and it all cites the same source. Yeah. Nobody did their own original reporting. And I was kind of frustrated this was that time. Um, I was a little frustrated and I wanted to do something uh, to prove to myself and to my peers that journalism is alive and well. You just have to kind of go looking for it because it's never in one place. And if you know where to look, great. But like the average person doesn't know that GQ and the New York Times produce amazing uh, profiles, right? So my at the time, uh, one of my coworkers and I would just like Slack and also text back and forth with really, really good profiles that we've read. And she kind of opened up my eyes to there's this world of like amazing journalism that nobody really knows about. Uh, well, it's not that they don't know about it. It's just like a great profile comes out once every week, but you don't hear about it and like until next month, whatever. Um, so I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I put together just a list of like the best profiles that come out every week and send it to like our friends and family? And so I did that. Um, I had to get permission from Fortune to do it because uh, it was my thing, but um, under the agreement that I would only do curated articles, I wouldn't produce original content because that would be a conflict. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I, I just started doing it and it was, it started at like maybe the first one I sent to like 150 people who saw it from Twitter or Facebook or it was my family. Yeah. And then I still remember like the first time somebody I didn't know signed up, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I've made it. Yeah. That's an amazing feeling. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. And so take, take me from February 2017 to now. So obviously you, you just left a week ago. So bring me through the evolution of the profile what it has now become. I know you, in addition to doing the curation, are actually doing some De Novo content. How did it evolve and what life experiences did you have in the last two years that, that helped kind of manifest what it looks like today? So there's something to be said that I didn't know at the time that I am very aware of now uh, about writing a newsletter or writing any sort of content in a newsletter form um, that creates an audience and that audience is constantly in touch with you. It kind of makes you more accountable than say having a website or a blog that you write on every once in a while. It just gives you that accountability to the people who read. Because for me, even if at some point I hated doing it, I knew I couldn't let down the people who are reading it because mm. they loved it. And mm. I enjoyed doing that. 
and also there's never been a point where I actually done this love it but um so when I started in the how many years have it been 2017 in the three years that I've been doing it uh I have not missed a single weekend so that means that sometimes I would have to ride it on a plane or ride it in a baseball game or like the subway mm. um just like no matter what was happening in my life I knew I wanted that consistency with the profile always um and one time what was it I I think I had set it for the wrong day like I had scheduled it and it, it didn't it didn't send out and I woke up at 10 a.m and it was supposed to go at 703 a.m and I got so many messages like Pauline are you alive like what's going on and that's <laughs> how you know <laughs> that's how you know it's like no I was just sleeping in um so that's how you know that uh it, you've created a machine that's like yeah. bigger than what you thought it was yeah um but yeah I've literally I've read probably thousands of uh of profiles at this point and I've learned so much from people that I've read about than if I would have just said I want to learn about x subject and started googling it or reading books about it it's just not right I can't wait to dive into your process but my final question on kind of this transition from you know 150 friends and family to deciding to leave you know the comforts of a job at an incredible news organization and, and publication like what was the moment when you knew it was time to leave like what had to happen you know internally and externally for you it's hard to explain, but I started having this feeling back in January where I was like, hmm, what would the profile look like if I could genuinely give it like 100% and I wasn't distracted by a ton of other stuff? Mm. Um, because if you think about it, writing a daily newsletter like Term Sheet or Fortune is a grind. Like it can, it, it takes a lot of mental <laughs> uh, energy to, to do that. And then on the weekends I have the profile and I, I do, I work on the profile in the evenings, but I'm, I was just like, what if I just like did it full on, full time? I was able to create original content. I was able to do podcasts. I was able to have dinners, like all the stuff that I want to do, yeah. I was able to do it. And it's like, once you start going down that rabbit hole, you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. Um, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, but like I told you, I'm pretty risk averse. So it took me from January until March to actually decide. I kept going back and forth. I kept like being like worst case scenarios, whatever. Yeah. Um, I will be very honest and say coronavirus was not on my radar yeah. <laughs> when I made the decision. Um, but one of the things I was considering when I was making the decision was like, what if the economy collapses and there's a recession? Like, what am I going to do? Mm. Uh, why would I leave like a secure job to go do that? And then you start thinking and you're like, well, like, who's to say that my job is that secure, right? Like, if the organization I'm working for is not making money, yeah. why is my job safe, et cetera? So then I finally was like, the, the question that got me was, um, if I don't do this and I stay at my current job in my current capacity, will I learn more in five years mm. doing what I'm doing at Fortune now, or will I learn more doing what I want to do with the profile? And ultimately, I just was like, even if I fail miserably, at least I will have learned so much more, I think, doing that than my current situation. Yeah, I love that. And there's nothing more secure than being in charge of your own destiny, your own cash flow, your own burn, you know, and that's, and that's quite a beautiful moment. It can be scary at times because there's nobody else to blame, right? There's no boss to blame, no client to blame, but you also own all the upside. 
Right, but it's, it's, uh, it's like the other day when I was like, hey, I want to do a series on small business owners for the profile, just interview small business owners to see how they're dealing with the coronavirus shutdown. Yeah. I was like, like my, my instinct was like, who do I need to ask if I can do this? And then I was like, oh, wait, it's <laughs> no me. One. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like that aspect is great. But the other aspect is like, I, you know, I need to make enough money to live. So yeah. how do you do that? Yeah. So and the other thing I think is important just to set the context of like the market, right, for newsletters. So I know you're a big fan of Farnham Street. I've seen that in your tweets. Yes. I love Stratechery, Exponential View. So there is a kind of inner sanctity and I think safety to knowing people pay for this stuff, right? It's not a completely new product. But what I like about your approach is... Like, I, I totally agree on profiles. I totally agree. Or, or what, like, John McPhee would call a feature piece, right? Like, there's just something about five, six, seven, ten thousand words with him, sometimes 20,000 words, right? About an orange. Like, there's just a, that is just like a superpower in itself, you know? And in this world where everyone's got an opinion, everybody's kind of got access to the same information, I think that's a super smart way to stand out period. And like biography is so important. So I guess what are the philosophies that, that govern your approach to content curation, storytelling, and ultimately, you know, the relationships that you're building to produce these things. Right. So I personally love stories. And I think the reason my curation works uh, and people find these profiles interesting is because I, um, I'm i very selective about what I like in a great profile. So I like, typically it's like a complicated character who's not just like a surface level person. And, and here's the thing, nobody is very surface level. It's like the reporter's job to uncover those other layers. Right. But it's sometimes very obvious when they just did the, the reporter did the bare minimum, only talked to that one person, didn't talk to anybody else. And I was like, here's the profile. It's like, that does not count. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I look for, so the, the arc that I typically love in a great profile, mm. and it usually is the same, is, there's a person, they've had this great success, then they've failed in some big, miserable way, and then they've done it again. And it's just like, it, it shows the humanity, and maybe they haven't, you know, been successful again, or maybe they're just trying to find their way, but it just shows the humanity of people beyond um, just what people know about them. That's why, like, one of the greatest profiles I've read is on Justin Bieber. I don't particularly care for Justin Bieber. I don't really know about Justin Bieber. But when mm -hmm. I read that profile, you actually learn a lot about his internal, like, strife and how he thinks and why he is the way he is. And the profiles that answer those questions are, are the best ones. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Justin, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen his documentary on YouTube. Um, yeah that came out, but you know, I think one of the most powerful things that he said during that was that he's been using his gift the wrong way, right? And it took drug abuse, it took, you know, getting arrested for him to recognize that, but like, he's been so selfish, right, in his mm -hmm. gift. It's been for him and the next number one album, and now he's thinking about like, how can I use this for other people? Um, mm -hmm. And the new album pops, you know, Yummy, Intentions, it's a new sound, and. I actually thought it was great to see how much of Justin's music he doesn't create. And he actually right. has, I'm forgetting this guy's name now. I think his name is like Poo Poo or something like that. Yep, yep, yep. It's this African-American guy, incredible voice. And he is actually a lot of the guy that, you know, creates the lyrics, finds the examples. And I think like that just helped me build empathy and trust for Justin 
in a way that there's only one other piece of content that's done that, and that's James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. And so I, I do think there's something really powerful to what you're talking about. So let's go into this. So how on earth, right? So you've got someone like Justin or, or, or take these small business owners. How do you structure these deep dives? Like, you know, do you have a process? Like, are there certain sources you have to go to first? And then how do you know that you've done enough when there is infinite information and opinions on these things? Yeah. Okay. So... So I'll tell you two different processes because um, I do the Sunday newsletter, which is me curating profiles, uh-huh. uh, podcasts, and documentaries and other videos. And then on Wednesday, I um, issue like a deep dive on one individual person, which I call the profile dossier. And it is literally like the best profiles, documentaries, or anything you could ever know about this one person. Here are the sources. Um, so for the newsletter, my process is literally like, I go on, I use Pocket Mm -hmm. um, to save all the, yeah, to save all these like long form articles that I find um, during the week that I like. But the sources I typically go to are like the New York Times, Bloomberg Business Week, uh, Forbes, Fortune, GQ, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, all these different, um, like Vogue sometimes, these different sources that produce great long form content. And I see, like, have they uh, released something every week? Also, Twitter is a great way to find um, uh, profiles, like, more of, like, the outside magazine or ones that you wouldn't normally, uh, like, the mainstream media ones. So then um, I have all of them, and then I very quickly, like, I create a Google spreadsheet, and I very quickly try to uh, understand whether something's, like, a profile or something else. Mm. So there was one situation where I thought I was reading a Taylor Swift profile <laughs> until I like realized that they were just, it was just a review on the documentary and they hadn't talked to anybody, but it was made to look like a profile. It was very confusing. Interesting. Um, so, so I just like in this Google, uh, Google doc, I just put some notes. So like I'll put Taylor Swift, like review or profile question mark. And then um, as I do that for each one, the ones that catch my eye, I go back and uh, I skim a little bit at the top to see like if this is really well done, if they talked to all the right people, whatever. If they did, I start reading it um, mm-hmm. like word for word. And once I do that, um, yeah, I just write the little uh, blurb that makes ideally makes people click and go read it. And then for the podcasts and documentaries, those are ones that I listen to anyway. So I listen to a ton of podcasts when I'm uh, working out every day. And now with all this free time, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm watching all sorts of documentaries. Um, so yeah, for, for the for those recommendations, like honestly, like whatever appealed to me, and if it's an interesting person that I think people could learn from, I include it. Um, and then for the Wednesday dossiers, what I do is like, it's actually um, kind of, uh, not really what you think I would do. So it's not, even though the dossier is about a person, I actually start with an idea first. So last week it was um, um, Annie Duke. Mm-hmm. Who's like Love a, Annie Duke. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Um, but the, I, I didn't start with her in mind. What I started with was right now the world is in chaos. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I was like, I want to know more about like how people deal with uncertainty and like times of chaos and how are they confident? How do they make decisions? Because I had just made a decision. (laughs) So I was just like, who is the best person who would embody that idea? So rather than go on Google and be like, 
you know, let me learn about uncertainty and decision making in this very like clinical, trite way where I would go to like, you know, investopedia.com and try to understand like how investors make decisions. Yeah. I was like, who's the best person for this? And I thought it was Annie Duke, who <clears throat> literally talks about decision making in the context of making decisions with little information about the future and how do you gain the confidence to do that. So <clears throat> that was kind of like the theme and the idea. And I went with her uh, and found all the relevant podcasts and documentaries and TED Talks and interviews that she's done and tried to distill the message of what she's trying to get across in that mm. uh, in this one like profile. Right. So uh, I'm familiar with Annie's work and um, Farnham Street did a great interview with her. I think last year or two years ago and this idea of resulting in the book thinking in bets is fabulous you know of, and she gives the, the famous Super Bowl example right between you know the Seahawks and the Patriots and how oftentimes we can evaluate the quality of our decisions on the result um, but yeah. I love I remember this line it stays in my head but that would be a bit like saying it was a good idea for me to drunk drive home because I didn't crash into anyone and I didn't have mm -hmm. to pay for a taxi and then come and pick up my car the next day. So mm -hmm. with that central, like how much do you go into that thesis as opposed to this is why she thinks this way because of her lived experience? Like where's the the gap yeah. for you? I, I love the nuance. I live for the nuance. Yeah, the so nuance I, is I everything. Lean in, lean in. <laughs> exactly. I If there's one thing I absolutely hate is when you start reading something and you're so excited and then it ends up being this like super surface level like generic thing of like make the best decision you can and she's like god I got nothing from this and I just like wasted 10 minutes of my life reading it so what I wanted to do with these dossiers is like yes it's not it's not 5,000 words it's maybe a thousand words at most but what it does is it's like distills um like uh, her very general message into these tiny, tiny practical things you can use, right? So one of those things, and it, this I did include this in the profile, is uh, exactly what you're talking about is the decision making, um, attributing like the the result whether you made a good decision. And uh, what I include in that is she uses an example of someone saying, you know, if you were set up on a blind date and you went on the blind date and it was horrendous. You'd be like, God, that was such a bad decision to go on a blind date. Mm. But then if you went on a blind date and met the love of your life and got married and happily ever after, that was the best decision of your entire life. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like trying to decouple that mm. um, is really hard. And um, I, I make that point really fast, but then there's like a whole podcast episode she did with Mark Andreessen about this one exact thing. So it's like, if you want to learn more, you can uh, hear it here. But I try to get like the very specific idea across <clears throat> and then provide like more resources if somebody is interested in listening to more. But I hate the generic and the general. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really interesting point. And then I, I want to kind of talk about newsletter as a medium and then kind of get mm -hmm. into the opportunities you're capitalizing on in life under quarantine. Because as some as two people that read a lot, the hardest thing and one thing I've been working a lot on and I don't know if you know of David Perel but he kind of talks a lot about yes. this of like the personal knowledge management system and him and Tiago Forte I think do a great job talking about this idea of building a second brain so super interesting about what you're doing is if you're saying you're basically saying so newsletter as a medium I agree is not dictated by algorithm smart 
I actually love reading an email. Just like period, I find it fascinating, especially given that most of these news sites now are just like serving ads all the time. So like you can be quite curated. And then if I want to revisit this person that I care a lot about, instead of trying to navigate 60 things on pocket, it's all just in one email from you. Mm -hmm. Totally. Super smart. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So newsletters, I think, still are highly underrated, even though they've had like many different shifts over over the years. But um, here's what I think is like the dirty little secret of newsletters. It's the fact that people trust you, right? Like I have favorite profile writers. I maybe don't care about anything else GQ writes about except this one person's profile. So why on earth would I pay GQ to get all of their content that I really don't care about only to get this one person's stuff that they only produce every, like once a month. So wouldn't it be nice to pay $10 a month or $20 a month or whatever it is to get Katie Weaver at GQ's at the time uh, profiles versus all of GQ? I would 100% do that because I'm one, I'm supporting her, and two, is like I only get the content I care about and I trust her. Mm. I trust her writing, I trust her judgment, I trust everything she does. So let's say that's the case. It just, that model doesn't work very well if you are a person who only cares about long form and uh, deep dives and high quality content to get all the crap that's like aggregated and clickbait and whatever. Like. It just doesn't make sense. So that's why I think these days, um, audience is everything and trust is everything. So if you're able to build an audience that trusts you, it's just like a loop. And right. you're able, like, I, the biggest compliment I've ever gotten is like, uh, you know, I get, a, somebody said, I get a ton of email and this is the one, like, I consistently open every week. And it's like, if people know, like, okay, there's at least one thing in here I can learn, mm. that, like, you've done your job. Yeah. I love that. So this this poses very interesting questions for news organizations. And I hope you don't mind me going in this direction because, yes, if you are the top columnist that brings in God knows how many readers, how can you point to your value? And when you don't control where that piece appears on a massive news site, right, then did your work ever get the attention it truly deserved? Like that's a really interesting question. Yeah, no, that's, I, and, and you're seeing the shift, right? Like, I think a lot of media organizations are realizing this, and I think they are realizing that a lot of people subscribe to people and they don't subscribe to these faceless media organizations. So um, when you have, when you're somebody like a fortune, yeah. you have numerous newsletters with people attached to them. Um, of course, you know, if that person does a good job, people trust them and et cetera. Um, also, if the organization has really great writers, that newsletter, like Term Sheet, has been able to evolve with every different writer that's written it. Uh, in Term Sheet's case, there's been three people, now four, mm. and um, there will be people who continue to read and like different people's voices more than others, right? So I think that the future actually does look very fragmented um, in a way that not everybody will be the top columnist yep. at whatever magazine yep. and not everybody will be able to garner that kind of audience. Mm. But for the ones who do, I think you could literally build a media organization around a single person. 
thousand percent. Thousand percent. It's actually what I'm trying to do. So we should talk more about yeah. that. But um tell me how you're thinking about monetization and tell me how you're thinking about the opportunities that life on the quarantine are presenting. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Everyone's at home, everyone has more time, everyone's maybe going slightly nuts on week three. And so to be in your position where you can create really deep dive profiles, I mean, I mean, what what a shift in just consumption habit. I mean, you couldn't have had it any better. And not everybody is is able to create content from their living room digitally. I mean, that's something that you've trained and be able be, been able to do at a very high level every single day for what the best part of five, six, seven years now. Yeah. So that's and that's the thing. I think oh, <laughs> it's so it's so interesting because it's like on the one hand people have so much time for profiles. On the other hand, it's like um, as the reporter working on a profile, you can't be physically there with the person you're profiling. So it's, it's just the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started thinking about monetization in January um, when I started thinking about like, is this something I want to do full time? But I, I was not a hundred percent convinced that people would pay for a newsletter. Like I, 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 you know, I hear the success stories. I know all about them, but I'm like, I only curate things like what, do people actually find enough value for me saving their time um, to pay for this? And so I wrote this whole thing about like the content you consume is really, really important to how you think and how you learn. And like, we care so much about food and whatever like that, but we don't actually take care of our like mental diet. And, um, and like with the profile, I genuinely feel like I'm saving people time and providing them high quality content that they can learn from. So I was like, how, what more value could I add here? And at the time I was only doing long form profiles, which were just text based. Mm. And so I was like, I'm going to add two sections, an audio section, which is like podcasts, speeches, stuff like that. And then mm. a video section, which was documentaries, videos and interviews. Um, and I was like, you know, I, we're going to figure it out. Like if you guys want those two additional sections, feel free to, you can, you can um, pay for the premium version of it. And what I found was interesting that a lot of people actually said, I'm glad you're doing this because I would have paid for the normal newsletter anyway. So yeah. And so it was, it was surprising in that, but also um, my goal now is to continue adding value behind the paywall. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I'm doing is adding those Wednesday weekly uh, deep dives on a single individual's, and then also having events, doing uh, virtual events, like whatever you can do to add more value for people, I'm really excited to do. Yeah. Um, and right now in quarantine, actually, the I definitely saw a rise in uh, people <laughs> signing up for the profile and paying because I think right now we have so much time and the way you use it actually really does matter. Like, do mm. you want to learn new things while you're doing this or do you want to watch a trashy show mm. on netflix maybe it's both which i've done but um <laughs> <laughs> but i i found like an uptick in people who said i was forwarded this by so and so they said i would enjoy you know reading this while in quarantine and i was like great <laughs> yeah as to be completely clear you're just bootstrapping this thing did you do like a friends and family raise or you're just you're just going straight into no, the no. The pit to the fire. Yeah. Good for you. I'm a bootstrapped entrepreneur too. And I know you spent so much time around venture capital. So this must be just the completely opposite end of the spectrum. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Venture capital to me is just like, I take money seriously, especially other people's money. <laughs> so until mm. I'm in a position to feel like, you know, I will turn this into a billion dollar business, mm. uh, until then I want to kind of like bootstrap it and uh, see how much content, original content I can produce myself before, let's say, bringing in other people, etc. Final point on the newsletters, and then I want to move on to like yeah. your routine and personality as we wrap. So where does the me- so the medium outperforms? I think you've covered that right in in the direct relationship, in the ability for the writer to get value um, away from algorithms. I think the the search function and just how well newsletters age is really cool. You know, I I do like mm-hmm. my Gmail search. Where does the medium underperform, if anywhere? Where is it not enough? Mm. Let's see. So I think that, well, I, I, I do think that, you know, as a reader, you're a little bit reliant on uh, the writer's schedule. And mm. in my case, it's consistently week after week. Uh, but a lot of people see newsletters as something they do once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and they don't treat it as seriously as they would if they were writing an article for New York Magazine, right? They're like, ah, oh, it's just a newsletter. But I, I think that that mentality is going to start to shift a little bit. Um, and people are going to realize that like having a direct channel of communication in somebody's inbox every week is probably the most valuable and important thing and something they should take seriously. Um, uh, let's see. And then, I mean, the other part is probably, I don't know. I just kind of really love like being able to have a direct line of communication with a reader. Mm. Um, the, I guess the other part is like, you can't as easily find it as, um, other articles. If you were just like browsing the web, yeah. you probably wouldn't come across a newsletter. Right. On the exact topic you were searching for. Got it. So you, you're, that's actually a really, really interesting point. If you're thinking about SEO, I um, mm-hmm. I don't quite understand how that works. Um, but I guess you're right. It's kind of maybe lack of SEO is made up for in, in the mm-hmm. direct relationship. And yeah, I guess maybe your answer is it, actually there aren't a lot of places it underperforms and that's why it's the medium to invest in. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm all, I'm all about newsletters. I get so many um, and it's, it's very interesting, like the hierarchy of newsletters in my inbox is like the ones that I open, I kind of skim and I uh, delete versus the ones I'm like, oh my God, I need to like save this for when I have time to sit down yeah. and actually read. You're one of the few. I'm thinking about what I've got now because I think human-centered is a big opportunity. Like what you said about lifeless news organization with no face, 100%, 100%. And it's oftentimes we that's offset by reading a columnist, but news organizations do not do a good enough job of really putting people on a platform. Um, And so, yeah, you're one of the few newsletters that I get, and I get a ton. I think, you know, Azeem Azar is close to you because you know it's Azeem, but it's Exponential View, but yours comes with your face, right? And it's just interesting to see the difference in that. Farnham Street is obviously the FS logo, I'm thinking Benson Moss, David Perel. Like you're, you know, David does a good job actually of sharing photos in every one of his Monday musings. But I think you do a great job of the human-centered face. And I guess how do you think about standing out in an inbox that maybe has seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven newsletters? Because I'm actually starting to see in quite a few of my newsletters the curation lists overlap 
And so it's really interesting to think, okay, two people are recommending the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. how, where do I go, right? Where do I read? Absolutely. I think, so I always think about it this way. I'm like, this week, there's a person out there who is getting the profile for the first time ever. Like, they've never seen this before. Yeah. So in keeping that in mind, you have to think about your tone. You have to think about your voice. You have to think about how you're coming across as a, as a writer. And also, like, the profile is not the only news that are out there that curates long-form profiles. Yeah. Almost every organization does it. Um, they, they will have, like, here's a long-form list of stories we like, yeah. uh, whatever. But the difference is that if you get, like, 28 suggestions of articles with a one-line description in your inbox every week, Yeah you'll skim through it, but like you likely won't actually get a sense of what they're about. And it's just, you're overwhelmed by choice. Yeah. What I do is I only pick eight, eight to nine um, every week. And these are like the absolute best eight or nine that I've actually read and I can recommend. <laughs> um, and I, in the descriptions that I write, like I try to add something that I think uh, most people will like resonate with. And then also um, I do like, I pick one article that I highly recommend and I find that usually like I'll be surprised sometimes when it's not the most quick, like actually this week, um, I recommended, I would like, these are the things you think about, right? Yeah. Like the one I recommended, I recommended because it was a great profile, but also because it was in time magazine. So people wouldn't hit a paywall. The second one um, that was second was on Kanye West, mm. but it was amazing, but it was in the wall street journal. And a lot of people don't have yep. subscriptions to Wall Street Journal. So I was like, uh, okay, I'll make it the second one. Right. What I found was the Kanye one was more clicked than the one I recommended. So it's like sometimes you know and you have to uh, work around these things. But I think like people have the capacity to read, um, to have like eight choices and yeah. be able to quickly make a decision. When you're presented with a list of 28, right. I'm not sure that you would click on any one of them, frankly. I agree. I think it makes it easier for you and the reader. It's just overwhelming. So I had read that you had planned to start your day during running the profile at 6.30. I'm assuming that was before quarantine hit. So I'm just fascinated. Like, what is your routine under quarantine? How are you staying sane? Are you taking long walks? Do you have a pet? Br bring me into your world. Oh, God, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of walks. <laughs> uh, I try to get up around like 7.30. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> so I like it. A reasonable time. Yeah. I'm still catching up on sleep from years of not sleeping. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing. It's really strange. <laughs> <laughs> do you get up at 4 30 ever and you're like, <gasps> I've got to no, do this thing? Okay, no. Okay. I, th I thought I would have all these like stress dreams. I thought I would wake up and be like, oh my God, I missed my life. No, none of that has happened, which is great. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so I, I wake up around 7 30 and then I get coffee. And then I, and do you um, make it? Do you go to Starbucks? I'm interested. Starbucks is not open anymore. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. So but would no, you I usually make your coffee, I guess is a better question. Um, so I do sometimes make my coffee, but the building I live in has like, you can go to the floor and they have like the best uh, latte machine thing. So I just get it there. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I also live with my fiance. So he 
also does work in the morning. So we have to be like, okay, well, I have a call. So you have to go in the bedroom or like you're FaceTiming. So you have to be here. It's like a whole scheduling nightmare. Um, but <laughs> we do That's that hilarious. in the morning. And then um, I usually, um, I try to find at least 30 minutes to like work out. Um, so whether I do like yoga at home or like I use an app to find like yeah. do sit-ups, I don't know. Right, right, right. <laughs> I try to have like 30 minutes of like some sort of physical movement. And then I'll probably go on a walk um, and listen to a podcast. And, and are you writing notes as you listen or are you just listening? No, I just listen. Yeah. Um, but then when I get back, like, well, it's still fresh. Like sometimes I'll write something like a quote down in my notes just to remember mm. uh, why I liked it. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I'll do that. And then um, come back and then do some more work. Like in the morning I do work, exercise, walk, more work. Um, and then it just kind of bleeds into the night, which I have to get better at, like not, because now I don't really have a routine, like of going to an office and coming back. You have to be very aware that you kind of just like stop after once in a while. So right. I'd be like transcribing something at 10.30 p.m. And I'm like, no, no, like drop it and go watch Tiger King. <laughs> oh my God, let's talk about Tiger King. <laughs> Hello, cool cats and kittens. I, I God, this yeah. is perfect. I was going to ask you what the best documentary you've seen recently, but you've just brought it up, obviously. I, I thought that's how you were going to greet me on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got to redo the intro. I got to re- redo the intro. So t- I mean, come on. Yeah. Let's let's just jump there. Tiger King. What do you think? Oh my god. Oh okay. my god. So first of all, I have this obsession with cults. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Doc Hansel was god. your like your dream. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I had no idea what I was in for because I had no idea that it would be about actually cults that have big cats in them. It was. I mean, I I, I still have one episode left, but the the reason the reason I like it is because um, I mean it's several different characters who are like super, super charismatic and fascinating and they have their own followings. And it's just like, it's the best. I mean, if you're talking about like profiles, like that, that is the best case study of how people um, like navigate. I mean, Carol thinks very differently from, um, wait, how am I forgetting his name? From Joe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, but they, they think very differently. They have literally contradictory views of the world, right. yet they are the exact same person in, right. in the way that they've built their following, etc. It's fascinating. Right. How, I don't know about you, but someone that curates content and is an incessant backer-upper, I think I made that word up, <laughs> incessant about backup of audio files, I almost died when oh. that videographer lost everything. Wait, but I still don't understand if they lost the video, how do they have it now? That's that. I, so I think Joe had some of it, and so I think he took uh, some out. And I I'm not see. sure if everything went down, but I was just going to think like that <laughs> thing is number one on Netflix, it's not going anywhere. I've looked at the rest of the top 10, no way. Like, he must have he lost out on a mint. I mean, I've got no idea of the economics, but like, I'm assuming it's just a wild success, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. Um, I saw that you wrote something about cheer. I haven't seen cheer. I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, the cheerleader oh, documentary. Yeah. Yes. It was really good. I really enjoyed cheer. And then the reason I liked it is because um, it's about cheerleading. It's not really at all about cheerleading. It's about leadership. Right. And it's about um, these kids who come from these like really, really dark paths. 
to this woman who, she, I mean, it, like, you can learn about leadership from anybody, yep. but her style is so, like, you know, I'm going to be strict, I'm going to be a disciplinarian, but at the end of the day, I have your back. Yeah. And that's kind of like, if you don't have, if you weren't raised like that with parents like that, you have no sense of, oh, so you mean, like, you can keep me in line, but also be, have my back? Like, it, it's really, really good. That's awesome. So, look, I you've been so generous with your time. We're coming up on an hour, so... I have to ask, because I'm sure all my readers are like dying at this point. What's the best biography you've ever read and why? And then what are some biographies or one that people must read during life on the quarantine or just life in general? And, and take your time. Okay, wait, you said best profile? Yeah, or biography, you know, pro, you know, a feature piece. Okay, so this one's a little bit like non-traditional. And I don't know if people would say, like, it's a proper profile, but I think that, especially right now, if you have time, if you have, like, eight hours, um, I would go read um, Tim Urban's, like, deep dive on uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink. Have you read that? No, I have not. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So, yeah, Tim Urban has this site called Wait But Why. Love Wait But Why. Yeah, and um, like Elon Musk just one day was like, I don't want to do a profile with a traditional uh, media organization. I'm going to let this guy who has this blog come spend like a week with me and um, learn about my company Neuralink, which is like connecting the human brain to machines, the whole thing. Um, It's really hard to explain, but the reason this is so good is because um, the way Tim writes it is like, he tells you about the company, he tells you about Elon Musk's ambitions, but he also tells you about Elon Musk um, in the way he thinks and how he like some of the things that would make logical, normal sense to you or I do not make sense to him. And so you're just kind of like you get these like snippets of his personality and how he thinks while also learning about his company. But it's really, really long. I think it's the equivalent of like a small book. Yeah. Um, So if you have time, definitely read that. So that's that's the best one you've ever read and the one you're recommending. God, there's so many though. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll recommend one more for okay. a while. Okay, yeah. Uh, but yes, that, that one for sure. And then there's this one, I, I don't know much about sports at all, Yeah. Uh, but this one is not really about sports, although it takes place with, like, with football and all that stuff. But um, it's, I think it's in ESPN, I have to double check that, but it's about um, this Kansas City Chiefs coach who goes on a search for his biological parents. Wow. And it's just like the wildest story on earth. Like, I can't believe this actually happened, but I won't spoil it, but it's just um, like the, the, the way it's written, the way uh, the characters are set up, and the ending will just like blow your mind. You'll be like, oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, but the reason it's interesting is like, I think most of us think like, I make X decision, I get Y result. And then this profile puts all that in perspective in terms of like, you know, there's a lot of coincidences and weird things that happen that underneath the surface that you're not even aware of. And then uh, once you figure that out, like you have a whole new perspective on life. So that's why I like that. I love it. Great recommendations. And my my final, final question, because I couldn't help but glance at your evening routine. I am missing getting my eyebrows threaded right now, but I am a big, big Kiehl's fan. I wanted to get one recommendation for a face mask that people must treat themselves with during quarantine. My girlfriend just did, we did a coffee scrub yesterday, which was amazing. Wait, 
It was great. Yes, well, <laughs> so, exactly. So, are you going to re- recommend? So, okay. So, there's um, there's what there's a coffee uh, there's a coffee mask I love from um, what is the name of the company? Uh, I'll think of it. Okay. Eventually, I'll send you. Yeah, <laughs> please. Name. Um, but there's another one I like, Glossier. And yeah. It's like a it's called like a moon mask or something. I like that. It's just um, I I like the ones that like you put on your face and then like the, I don't know, you feel differently once yeah. you take it off or like it feels smoother or whatever. It's really nice. <laughs> and, how, and how about a sushi restaurant and or dish? So the dish could be something that we should just order during quarantine and a restaurant could be something that we all have to visit once life gets so back to normal. I was actually normal. recently introduced to this restaurant. I, I wasn't like with sushi. I just was like whatever's on seamless. But recently I went, 